OfficerPrivacy.com, the company's officers trust with their online privacy. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have another great show. This is actually the second episode of a two-part series that we called Revealing the Secrets of the Secret Service. A little tongue-in-cheek there a little bit uh it is so if you missed the first episode last week please listen to it uh this week we have a retired special agent with the secret service he is the one of the leaders in behavioral threat assessment he literally wrote the book mass killers on the subject he can identify these killers before they kill this is such an important if you will, secret to get out. And then a cop talk segment, our second segment, we have a little bit different. Uh, we have six headlines that absolutely affect law enforcement in the news right now. So I'm going to go rapid fire. We'll t- tell them, and then Jason will give his thoughts on each. And then at the end, we have a new segment called but quotes what they said then but what they're saying now and then our last segment we have of course more loony laws a heroic headline and jason's always inspirational closing message so stay tuned stay informed and most of all you're going to be entertained more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on badge boys we'll be back right after this if you like the badge boys you'll love their books starting with burning shield the jason schecterly story which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's Twisted But True books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back, everybody. I really, every week I always say I'm so excited. We're so excited about our show, but it's always true. (laughs) Uh, We have this uh, retired secret service agent uh, coming on the show. He's going to talk again about this um, behavioral threat assessment. 
And at the end of our shows, I'm always talking to the guests, you know, you got to write a book. you got to write a book. Am, am I right, Jason? Oh, yeah. I, I, it, it, it kills them. It's like, shut up. Yeah. Because everyone, all these guests have such great stories. Well, I don't have to say anything to this uh, guest because he's written like five of them. Yeah. He has five books. Uh, we're talking about retired Secret Service agent Mike Roche. Uh, he has over three decades, almost four decades of law enforcement experience. He began his career with the Little Rock Police Department and spent 22 years with the U.S. Secret Service. He was also with the ATF. Uh, the last 15 years of his career were focused on conducting this behavioral threat assessment of those threatening to engage in targeted violence. He was also assigned to an intelligence liaison to the FBI and CIA, as well as being assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. And again, three, four, five books, Face to Face, Karma, The Blue Monster, Coins of Death. All oh, these are great books, but we're going to be talking about mass killers. So without further ado, uh, thank you, uh, Mike, for joining us on Badge Boys. Well, you know, I, I don't know what to say after that introduction. <laughs> and, uh, you know, somebody told me, you know, like a, a month ago that, I am the Swiss Army knife of law enforcement. And so my dad would actually say that I'm the jack of all trades, master of none. And, um, you know, to, to me, it's it's an honor and privilege to, to actually be on with you and Jason and Darren um, because of what you highlight in the, the law enforcement community. And, you know, there, you know, I always like to give a shout out to the uh, you know, the unseen support of law enforcement, you know, namely the dispatchers that are the Thank voice you. on the other, the, the other end of the, uh, the microphone or the analysts that are putting the puzzles together, making all the connections. And, um, you know, I always said, hey, if, if they can't find somebody I'm looking for, then the, the person has to be a ghost. And, uh, and obviously our families, I was fortunate enough that, uh, after 40 years, I still had a, a wonderful bride that was standing at the finish line, you know, applauding my arrival. But for you guys, you, you have Robin as your uh, unseen support behind the, the scenes, keeping things together for you. Truly the brains of this outfit. No doubt about it. Jason's hey, don't the make, heart. Don't make and I'm me the cry, bowels. man. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Make, no, don't make me cry. Robin is awesome. You're, you're spot on. You're spot on. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your background in terms of Little Rock, Arkansas, being a patrol officer. And we've had some conversations before, uh, you know, you coming on the show, which was uh, I just absolutely feel like you're a buddy already. I'll be honest with you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and you talked a little bit about love, that love of patrol. Uh, and so really, this is Jason's question. Go ahead. Uh, yes, always uh, the most important question. Why did you put your name on the application to begin with? So um, I had initially wanted to be an astronaut. And, um, you know, sitting on top of a rocket, being propelled into outer space. And... Um, it was about the seventh grade, um, seventh grade algebra um, brought me back down to earth, so to speak. <laughs> back to the world. And, you know, and, you know, at that point, I had to be pragmatic and, and understand that math was not my strong suit. Physics and, um, um, you know, the, the other uh, math sciences was not going to be in my wheelhouse. So um, I, I actually became very enamored with, you know, Joseph Wambaugh, his books, uh, the books were turned into movies. 
Adam 12 and the original police story uh, oh, love series. That. Loved it. Yes. Yeah. We're dating I, ourselves. <laughs> I know we are. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think you can find them on TV anymore, but uh, regardless that, that, that really inspired me. And I sat there and said, you know, that's really something that I would enjoy doing. It's, you know, exciting, but at the same time I get to help people. And, um, so, you know, essentially, really from the seventh grade on is where I had made the decision that, you know, law enforcement is what I wanted to do. So um, I, I was born and raised on Long Island. And um, at this point, this is back, um, you know, graduating 1976. So history tends to repeat itself. And you look back in 1975, New York City had just laid off 5,000 cops and uh, crime was, uh, was spiraling upwards. And... Um, as a result, you know, I thought, well, there's no point in me staying in New York because you really could not get a job in law enforcement because you had all these displaced cops, not to mention uh, you really had to be a, a veteran to, to get high enough on the test. So um, I got in the Jersey Turnpike, took the wrong exit and landed up in Little Rock, Arkansas and uh, went to college there. And, um, you know, once I turned 21, I uh, put my application in and uh, joined the police department. That's awesome. And, Mike, I want to point out a lot of people don't know this. You uh, you mentioned uh, during the opening that you are sometimes referred to uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. However, a lot of people don't know. We take that as an insult nowadays or make fun of each other. The actual full quote is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So I am that is very yeah. true. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, these stories and your expertise, especially on something that's such a serious subject like mass killings. And you talk about helping people, and I found that that's kind of like the DNA, our blueprint for many law enforcement, especially those who go the entire career. Um, can you talk about that love of helping people and, and how that went from Little Rock community to the entire nation with the Secret Service? Sure. So, you know, first of all, like when we put on the badge and gun, we and we're sworn in, we're we are essentially giving up our First Amendment rights to, to free speech. And and you folks actually are speaking on behalf of everybody that's sitting in patrol cars, Those who or can't. squad room, you know, exactly. Absolutely. And um, and then you're also highlighting the other challenges involving with, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress. And all three of you have experienced you know, significant trauma. And uh, I, I think of the three of you as being thrivers, you know, the three thrivers, um, you know, you're not survivors, you're thriving and uh, going out there and, and normalizing, you know, trauma that occurs in everyday policing and the, the accumulating effect. But, you know, for me, it was, you know, I gained satisfaction if it was just pulling up behind a stalled vehicle and you know, turning on my overheads. And again, I'm dating myself that at this point, there weren't cell phones, but at that point in time, that person felt safe. And, you know, perhaps it's, you know, the nobility of the, the job, but, you know, for that 10 or 15 minutes until the, the tow truck showed up, you know, I was providing an air of security for that person. And, um, you know, to me, that's what um, that badge represented was the nobility of going out and making the community safer and, and doing good deeds where I could. Yeah, it truly feeds our soul. 
It really does helping people is what we have in There's common. There's nothing like it. So what was the catalyst, if there was one, that prompted you to um, kind of go over to a national role of helping people? So, um, you know, I had 10 years in with the police department. I, you know, uh, did uh, six years, I think it was in patrol. I did uh, uh, a year and a half on the street crimes unit. And then uh, I was an economic crimes detective for for three years. But um, sadly, you know, the retirement system uh, at that time looked like it it might have some financial difficulties for the long term for its longevity. So I said, you know, at this point, I'd finally gotten my college degree. I was on the decade plan. It took me like (laughs) nine years to get my degree. And um, so uh, again, attesting to I was no rocket scientist to begin with, but, um, you know, chipping away and I finally had my degree and I decided, you know, uh, I'm concerned about, you know, I don't want to be shuffling out to the mailbox when I'm 65 and uh, getting the notice that, hey, sorry, you know, the pension fund is bankrupt. So that they have since restored that and, and secured it. So uh, it's not a problem. But at that point, I was concerned. So I, I decided to start putting in applications and ATF uh, picked me up. They were hiring at the time. And uh, I went over to, to ATF, spent uh, about a year with them. And then the Secret Service called. My application was still pending with them. And with my economic crimes background, I decided to, uh, to to make that jump over to the Secret Service. And with Secret Service, and again, I, I kind of, we definitely want to get to your book, Mass Killers, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, sadly, I ha- usually with a guest, I have the book and I've read it and I have not. And I apologize, but it is on order. Shame on you. I know, <laughs> but I can't wait to get in my hands and read it. I well, the second it. edition just came out, so I, I, oh. I can't follow. See, fortuitous. That. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but, you know, you talk about you're, you're not a rocket scientist, but you must be hell with crayons because you've written five books, buddy. Uh, so. <laughs> Kudos. Tell us about what behavioral threat assessment is and how that came to be. So um, what happened was um, the the Secret Service began conducting um, uh, studies, and this was in the the 1990s, to determine whether they could come up with, you know, say, a, a profile of assassins, you know, to make us better at our job. And um, so they started what was called at that time, the exceptional case study program. And that um, they came out and they studied all the, the, the previous assassins and, and near attackers that were on the, the path to violence to actually conduct a uh, assassination or an attack and were stopped somewhere along the way and uh, studied the common characteristics of these individuals to see if they could better prepare us as the agents in the field. So that was released and it was publicly uh, disseminated. Uh, uh, it was a little yellow book that was sent out to you know, police departments across the country. And um, I was uh, assigned to the, uh, what's now called the Protective Intelligence Division uh, after I had finished my um, field assignments. And from there, um, when I went back out to um, the field and I was assigned to uh, to Tampa, Florida, um, I took that knowledge and then started uh, actually, you know, conducting threat assessments and working with uh, our local law enforcement partners. And I was very fortunate there that 
we, we had a very good network and um, great, you know, local cops to, to, to work with, you know, they would call me in the middle of the night, hey, Mike, you know, we've got this individual that's, you know, um, you know, causing some concern and we're making threats, would you come out? And uh, likewise, I would develop information, people would report things to me and I could call them and, you know, and I, I refer to them as my safety net because, you know, they would go out with me and uh, regardless of what the circumstances were and we'd do it, you know, a knock and talk and interview with the subject and everybody else that we could uh, find. In terms of actual, um assessment is there like a, a list of things um red flags if you will that the average person might be able to look at the reason i say this is because during the tease i made it kind of a joke in terms of calling this uh, revealing the secrets of the secret service but these aren't secrets these are things that you want to get out am i right no absolutely and you know i mean it it's frustrating to me at times you know if you look back say at columbine for example I mean, we're going on almost 23 years ago. And, you know, when Columbine occurred, you could sit there and say, okay, well, you know, we weren't expecting that. But now, you know, 23 years later, we're still having, you know, you just had the shooting up in Michigan uh, with the, the, the young, you know, the 15 year old. And, you know, I, I sit there and say, hey, most of these people are blinking like, you know, you folks are close to Vegas. Um, you know, like the, the the strip of Las Vegas, and you know, um, often the, you know, the the signs are just either ignored or excused away. And um, you know, we always plead to people, "Hey, see something, say something." You know, um, and often they do. And you know, either you know, school administrators or law enforcement have just ignored it and, and not followed through with the, uh, the, the information. So, you know, probably the, the easiest way to identify these people is, you know, somewhere around 80% of them have what we refer to as leakage. And, and leakage would come down to, um, you know, social media postings, um, writing in journals, and, and sometimes that's a little bit more challenging to identify because, you know, they're keeping it close hold. But sometimes people will see things, you know, for example, the uh, young man in, uh, in Michigan where uh, the teacher identified this uh, picture that he had drawn with, you know, a, a bloody body. And, you know, he was writing statements that, you know, I need help and please help me and, you know, uh, bullets and, and whatnot. So, I mean, very concerning language that, you know, drew the attention. The same thing in Columbine, you had uh, Dylan Klebold had written this um, article or uh, an essay for, for English class. And the English teacher, who is an experienced English teacher, took a look at it and said, you know, this is very disturbing. And, you know, for her to have felt that this is the most disturbing essay she had ever read, you know, it really states something. So, you know, she brought the parents in. Well, she first approached him and Dylan said, oh, it's just a story, you know, and excuse it away. Well, she carried forward and uh, notified the parents. And, you know, and again, the, 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 the parents were somewhat dismissive of that, or at least the, the father was, well, you know, basically boys will be boys. And, uh, you know, whether they had any conversations with them at home, I don't know. I know me as a parent, I would have, you know, if my teach, if my children's teacher had said something to me, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with my kids. And, um, 
So, and and again, with the social media, you know, it it goes on so often that after the attacks, you go back and look and say, oh my gosh, I mean, they they were all but telling and announcing what they were planning to do. And like in Columbine, you had a a situation there that you had um, Eric Harris had like a 12 page um, web page that he had developed and in there, you know, he he announced, you know, various threats that he was building explosive devices. It was actually a detective that uh, uh, wrote up a or prepared a an affidavit to conduct a search warrant. And um, you know, there's some uh, discussion as to why it was never executed. But the one thing is, is it never made it over to the district attorney's office for review. And um, and even if the district attorney had said, hey, I don't think you have enough. And again, having, you know, my experience, I've looked at it and I, I think you had enough probable cause to execute that search warrant, but it was not. Uh, maybe, you know, the mayor's golf clubs were stolen and he got pulled off, you know, uh, to go conduct that investigation. You know, I don't know, but um, regardless, what should have been happened was they should have gone out and at least not been talked with the, the Harrises and said, hey, this is the information. We're aware that there's been uh, a similar type explosive device that he talks about uh, that actually was detonated about three miles away. You know, would you mind if we come in and talk to you, talk to your son, if we could look around? You know, and perhaps they sit there and say, no, you need to get a search warrant. And you need to, um, you know, we're going to get an attorney and that all could have happened. But, you know, it's been my experience, again, if you go in and explain that you're, you're looking out for their safety as well as everybody else and show a little empathy that uh, more times than not, you know, the, the family is, is cooperative and uh, that that was not the case. But, um, you know, to get back to, you know, the, the red flags, I would say that, you know, I refer to the, the emotional negative vortex where you have, you know, the, the, the people are sitting there um, under a lot of stressors. So for adults, you might say, you know, they've had a number of job, job failures, you know, perhaps weren't able to finish school. Um, they've now been terminated or they're having, uh, you know, some conflict at work. They're going through some uh, dysfunctionality at home their, um, you know, financial issues with uh, foreclosure house, uh, car being repossessed. And then, you know, on top of that, maybe the goldfish dies as well, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's just one thing after another and you just sit there and say, oh, this poor, poor person, you know, and for a high schooler, you know, their frame of reference is much smaller. So it's, you know, hey, you know, I failed the geometry test yesterday. I didn't do so well on the SAT and I didn't get the job at, you know, CVS and my girlfriend of two days broke up with me and broke my heart. You know, I love all these uh, signs and you talk about, you know, the bloody pictures, maybe even written in blood. You talk about the neon signs, blinking alert. And we don't know how many in law enforcement, we've stopped from being that next mass murder. But I can't help but think of the Ted Kaczynski's, the, the types that, you know, aren't out there advertising, don't, aren't on social media. I mean, granted, they're the far few in between, no doubt about it. But it took Ted's family to literally say, pick up on something. How difficult are those where they're not advertising? They're not that neon light, if you will. 
Yeah. So, and there are those cases out there and they're, they're challenging. And it's usually that the people closest to them uh, that recognize that there's concerning behaviors that they, they do have this, you know, again, emotional negative vortex that, the, you know, their life is collapsing around them. And then, you know, on top of that, oh yeah, they have some mental health issues that are challenging them to be able to process that stress. And, you know, the, that the cup is runneth over, so to speak. And, you know, with uh, mental health, you know, people are more likely to, you know, hurt themselves as to hurt others. And, you know, uh, approximately 20% of America at any given time has got mental health issues. And most people have it managed. They're going through, you know, th through therapy or taking medications. But with these people, um, you know, sometimes that they're not getting the help that they need. And then also a lot of them tend to be um, uh, wound collectors or as the FBI calls them, injustice collectors. And, you know, where they've keeping a tally of, you know, it's never their fault that anything's gone wrong with their lives. It's always somebody else's. So like, um, you know, uh, Christopher Dorner, the former LAPD officer uh, that went on the spree killing you know, he was able to go back to first grade was his first incident of, you know, racial discrimination. Well, you know, um, for me, I can barely remember who my first grade school teacher was, you know, let alone, you know, a slight that was, you know, perhaps whether it was real or perceived. Yeah. Um, and harboring and those he, ill feelings. For his entire life. And, and meanwhile, you know, he's having, you know, a series of, of failures along the way. You know, he uh, doesn't make it through flight school in the Navy. Uh, he's on LAPD. He's not doing well there in field training. He's about to get the ax there. You know, so it's just one thing on top of another. And, you know, with, with Christopher Dorner as well. And then you look in his personal life and he was married for a total of eight hours. And I kid you not. Um, that's and, a red flag. Yeah, that's a red yes, flag. Yes, yes. Eight hours, you know, that's a record. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, I, I, he had a girlfriend that posted like uh, on, you know, don't date this guy.com or something along those lines that, hey, stay away from him. He's trouble. He's got guns stashed all over the house. And, you know, so you have, you know, uh, this or like Elliot Roger, who is in Isla Vista, California, Um who from puberty on was able to sit there and say he had been rejected by all these females and uh, harbored, you know, deep seated resentment towards this perceived rejection, even though there's no evidence that he ever actually engaged any females and asked him out. But he, he posted like one video that I would show in my class and um, you know, and people would kind of laugh, but I mean, it was kind of sad, you know, that he was like, look at me, what's wrong with me? I'm wearing these Gucci sunglasses. I have a BMW. I'm smart, good looking, you know, but, um, you know, he obviously didn't have the talents to, uh, uh, to be able to engage with females and he harbored these deep seated, you know, revengeful thoughts. And, um, Mike, let me ask you, uh, your perspective on this. We live our society is definitely reactive versus proactive and yes and in the good in that though is our rights our freedoms you know that you can't just have somebody walking around going you know i think this guy might walk into a movie theater at night and shoot up the place you you're not allowed to just say that about people so 
the the line between trying to be proactive versus infringing upon somebody's rights to live their life freely and freedom of speech it, it it seems to me to be either a very thin line or a very blurred line yeah so what i would say is that if you're overly concerned about somebody that you know they're, they're ticking off these red flags and, and and again most of them are making statements that hey i'm going to get that guy or i'm going they're going to be sorry for what they did and you know this conduct comes out over and over again on these individuals and if people would just report them but then on the other side then you have to have law enforcement that actually takes the initiative and says hey you know what we are going to investigate this and you know sadly i mean you know in current day law enforcement you know we're very short-handed so um you know to to and when you consider that 75 percent of all police departments are 25 officers or less they don't naturally have the, the resources of having somebody that's been trained in conducting behavioral threat assessments or an analyst. So, you know, that they have to then reach out to the county or a state agency for that type of support. And, um, you know, when you're conducting these uh, uh, threat assessments, when the report comes in and somebody says, hey, you know, we think this person is, is of concern. So like the, the Parkland shooter, for example, you know, he, uh, the, I believe there were 43 instances where the police went to his house and um, somewhere around 20 or 21 of them actually involved him. And you would think at some point in time, somebody would say, hey, you know, we need to take a closer look at this kid, you know, and there were reports coming in, people saying, hey, I think he's going to be a, a shooter. He's posted stuff on Instagram. You know, he's killing animals in the backyard. And then at the same time, the school is being notified as well as the FBI as well. And in the in the case of the school, that they conducted a threat assessment, but the, the ones that were involved had never been trained in it. Uh, in fact, the vice principal, I think, had been, you know, um, a school administrator for decades and it never once conducted one. So, and, and they're not that hard to do. What you, you do is you go out and you talk to as many people that you can that have contact and, and uh, can provide, you know, uh, background on the individual. So we're talking about friends and family, uh, relatives, uh, co-workers, bosses, uh, school teachers, uh, pulling their school records, going in and looking at the, the police reports of, you know, that, that have involved this person. And, and drilling down, again, an analyst is essential to this, where they're drilling down into their, their background and making those connections and looking into social media to see what else is out there. It really and does then, take a community in terms yes, of- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's not just- now, the, the most challenging part is that then once you identify, hey, I, I think this person needs help, then, well, what do you do with them there? So, you know, perhaps it's sometimes getting, you know, uh, family more involved. Sometimes it's, you know, reaching out to social services, obviously, you know, um, committing them, you know, whether it's a, an involuntary um, commitment uh, in Florida, it's referred to the Baker Act, but uh, most jurisdictions, it's only up to, up to a 72 hour hold. And 
you know, we've often seen where they're dropped off and it's emergency stabilization. You know, they're, they're looking at, again, mental health services are often, you know, overworked and, and, and to that point, And to that point, when you talk about mental health, many of the red flags really go right back to the mental health problem. I cannot thank you enough for being our show, but I can't let you go before you tell us about your, your book and where we can get it. Mass Killers, How You Can Identify Workplace, School, or Public Killers Before They Strike. Yeah, so uh, it's all of my books are available on Amazon. It's uh, we've got uh, Mass Killers, which, uh, like I said, the second edition came out. First edition was in response to uh, a class that I was teaching at the time, and then um, I've got uh, several works of uh, crime fiction as well: The Blue Monster, Coins of Death, and Karma. I love it. And I, I thank you for not just being on our show, but for what you've done with uh, the Little Rock community, with what you did with ATF, and especially what you're doing, continuing your service with what you've learned with the Secret Service. Thank you so much, Mike. Well, thank you to you three thrivers for getting this word out. I appreciate it. It's funny. Before the show, uh, Robin was telling me about her. What's the term? We call it Sir Thriver now. You're not just a survivor, but you're a thriver, yeah. and it's a Sir Thriver. <laughs> you're spot on. We all think, feel the same exact way. Thank you again, and we'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. And that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. I just love talking to Mike. I mean, down to earth, so humble. And at the very end, I kind of said, you know, did we cover everything you need to cover, buddy? Was there something, you know, that you might have left out that you want to add, you know, anything? I don't know, maybe of a, you know, maybe some. What important? Well, I was with the president during 9-11. Yeah, it's just with, I was in the classroom with the president on 9-11. Kind of a big deal. Sort of a big deal. Yeah, and then yeah, went to so. Afghanistan. Yeah, we might want to yeah, know about that. Mike. And he also worked at Ground Zero. Yes. Yes. Can't oh, forget that. It's such a humble guy. There's a few more so, stories in there. Yeah, he can be humble as he wants. We're pulling him back in. Yeah, yeah we're just like, uh, you know, the, what's it, the... Um, godfather part two. yeah exactly you know, they keep pulling you back yeah, in we're right. going to keep pulling him back right. in hey we have a, a really kind of interesting headlines here um normally we do one or two and we kind of go back and forth we talk about that but uh, we have another segment we also want to get to called butt quotes oh yes yeah that's gonna be fun yeah, so what we're gonna do is i'm gonna read off the headlines and these are six headlines that are absolutely uh, of interest to law enforcement no doubt about it in various ways and then i just we're gonna get jason's uh, thoughts on them so without any particular order we're going to start with the uh, nypd this is the head headline nypd cop killed second officer clings to life after shooting in harlem apartment well that second officer is no longer clinging to life he unfortunately <sighs> passed away uh early yesterday you're talking about jason rivera and he was killed on scene of the domestic violence call which turned out to be 
the guy was arguing with his mom about his diet. And when I say guy, this is like a 40-year-old man. And then he shot and killed Jason Rivera and uh, Officer Wilbert Mora uh, did succumb to his injuries. So New York uh, Police Department is facing uh, the loss of two of its field training officers and planning their funerals right now. And it goes back to kind of like Mike was talking about, you know, these wing nuts, you know, these POSs that do this, you know, it's over something, you know, this perceived harboring ills. Ugh, I hate these people. Uh, second headline, GOP senators slam Biden's expected police reform order. Well, I mean, my initial thought on that is you don't know. I don't know on which day the president is going to support which one of his interest groups he's either with the group that hates the police, which they are a very loud group right now and a big part of why he got elected. So he has to kind of pander to them. And then you'd like to think that he has some sense of compassion toward victims in this country and toward law and order. And his number one primary duty is to keep us safe. You know, to your point, the next headline goes right into that. Which side of the coin are we going to see? Uh, next headline, U.S. bill aims to help families of law enforcement officers who die by suicide. That's, uh, that's incredible because that goes back to what we talked about in the first segment with mental health. And, you know, we have a law here, uh, Craig Tiger's law, yeah. because we did not recognize what Officer Tiger went through for the year leading up to his suicide. And now Phoenix Police Department is very hands-on and will recognize and identify mental health issues that come with the job a lot quicker. So I think a bill like that uh, is awesome because uh, most times officers suffer from post-traumatic stress and they end up taking their own lives. And we need to listen to people's problems, not go to their funerals. I love it. Uh, the next headline, New York City mayor calls for more gun control after a felon shot the two officers. You know what? I, I, I'm trying not to yell and scream right now. I am um, so um, sick of hearing about gun control until you. somebody starts talking about the people who pulled the triggers on these guns. I have never once, I'm 50 years old, never once saw a gun float through the sky into its store and just shoot somebody at Circle K. It's never happened. So until we talk about the people who want to point a gun at another human being and kill them, this gun control thing is a completely moot point until you address the actual problem. And it's interesting that this headline states that because many times the headline is what the paper wants and that little clip of what the new york mayor said may have been just one small aspect of the larger press briefing yes and i made that mistake last week and i will readily admit it i heard you know, i heard one sentence that eric adams said and i was pretty upset about it uh it was in regards to the woman who got Our last show. pushed in front of the subway and yes. killed and he said the city was safe and i'm like what are you talking about? And you brought up last week on the show, hey, he probably talked for five minutes. They played an eight-second clip, and you were right. Well, this week when Jason Rivera, uh, Wilbert Mora now, as I mentioned, passed away, but when Jason Rivera was murdered on scene several days ago, uh, I got to watch Eric Adams' entire press conference. Good for and you. his 
passion and his words and his determination it it was it was beautiful and i uh you know he got left a gigantic pile of shit (laughs) by my friend de blasio and it's going to take a while for him to clean it up but he's already put back in place uh an awesome police unit that de blasio took away i think I think we're going to see New York uh, definitely improve in the next four years. Yeah, for me, the only bad side is we no longer can do our dumb de Blasio report. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last headline for you, uh, Baltimore, quote, safe streets, end quote, social worker killed in quadruple shooting. Well, that's just uh, a tragedy. That person's a victim, too. And we talked about this. Social workers, you know, they have a great lane that they're in, and they do a lot of great work for people in this country, they are not trained to go out and be in armed confrontations or be in these dangerous situations. And so that's just heartbreaking to hear, but it's proof that that's not a road we can go down. And a lot of politicians, council members, educators, that's where they want law enforcement to go is more down the with the road of social workers. It's just not safe and more people will die if we're trying to prevent death, that's not how you do it, and that's a case in point. So I feel bad for their family. Yeah, that rhetoric of reimagining police, which they use in, in combination or conjunction with the defunding, is just that right. stupid rhetoric. And right. it kind of goes into our last bit here for a cop talk, which is butt quotes. Uh, again, I'm going to talk about different people. I don't care whether they're on the left or right, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. But they're in positions of leadership and they say one thing. It's hypocrisy. Oh, at its finest. Uh, the first one, council member Shahana Hanif uh, retweeted a statement Saturday morning, and this is recently in response to the New York shooting, quote, heartbroken by last night's shooting in Harlem and the violent start to the year. But on January 21st, 2020, she said, quote, more police won't keep us safe. But quote number two, Comptroller Brad Lander said, quote, a 22-year-old NYPD officer has died. and Another is fighting for his life and praying for his recovery. Our hearts are with their loved ones and colleagues, end quote. But June 9th of 2020, he wanted to reimagine policing. It is time to defund the police and reimagine our public safety infrastructure. But quote number three, assembly member Robert Carroll said, quote, rest in peace, officer Jason Rivera. Your service will not be forgotten. As New Yorkers, we need to come together as one. But early in the Floyd rioting on June 8th of 2020, he said, quote, your streets have been over policed and black brown Americans over-criminalized. And the next but quote, council member Kristen Richardson, quote, I am saddened. A loss of one is a loss to the whole as it creates ripples and ripples of pain. I stand with the families of the fallen. But just weeks ago, weeks ago on January 2nd, she said NYPD is still the biggest gang in New York City. (laughs) Next but quote, New York Attorney General... Letitia James said, quote, all of New York states is in mourning tonight. We pray for the safety of our police and our communities. Last April 16th, she said, we need to talk about the history of policing, which is embedded in racism, going back to the slave trade, the slave code, black code, etc. Next, but quote, council member Lincoln Restler retweeted a statement Friday night, quote, tonight we mourn the loss of a hero officer, a son, a husband and a friend. 
But on June 30th of 2020, he said, to pay for a new police class in this budget is a slap in the face of the movement demanding transformation. And our last but quote, public advocate Jomaine Williams, quote, these men answered a plea for help, both risk and one lost their life. Well, we know it's both now. Continue, quote, all while trying to protect another New Yorker's safety as countless officers across our city do each day. But on June 30th of 2020, he said, by just saying we're hiring additional police officers, I think is sending the wrong message. And that is the end of the butt quotes. Always good to know what they said before. Uh, it is. You know what? Um, but I will tell you, you know what speaks louder, Darren? I mean, it, it, the, the hypocrisy is incredibly it is. shameful and irritating. And they only say what is politically politically convenient at the time all politicians do that it's just a disgusting profession but what speaks louder is when you have people like them and i'll use aoc as an example somebody who has actively shown a hatred for police wanting to change law enforcement in this country a representative of new york and i would almost wish she would come out with something hypocritical because her silence almost speaks that there are a lot of people out there in power rejoicing at the death of these officers. And I know that's a strong statement, but it's very true. There are a lot of people who, uh, we talked about it last week, that Louisiana police officer, the, the mom, responding to a shooting and Horrible. found her own son Horrific. shot 18 times, and then she was berated on social media. People were glad that her son had been murdered simply because she wore a police uniform. It, it, it's disgusting how some of these people think and talk. So, yes, the, the hypocrisy here, we can laugh about it and in that segment, but it, it's almost better than complete silence because that speaks louder right now. You know, I'm going to go on the counterpart on that. It's very telling. And again, I'm, maybe I'm just trying to... Uh find evidence to my bit paradigm shift that things are getting better when you have horrible people that hate cops and now are saying these beautiful things i think that's telling to them wanting to appease a louder audience in the community that supports lawfulness supports uh police doesn't want unlawfulness and i think that's very telling to that point in terms of there's we are hopefully in this paradigm shift towards better times for police. Uh, I just hope there's not another George Floyd horrible incident that bad actors oh God, jump on that will then hurt where we're going at. Hey, we are going to be right back with uh, our last segment, uh, more looning laws, heroic headlines, and Jason's always inspirational closing message. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books, starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria Police Cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories. 
that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's twisted but true books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Bad Boys, everybody. We are going to kick the final segment off with Darren's Looney Law. So let's hear my favorite song and be gentle on any of the sound bites this week. Uh, I, I'm actually good for you this week. I really am. The bowels of uh, my depravity don't sink so low. Right. Uh, some of these laws may seem absolutely ridiculous, while others may be based on cultural differences. But they are all hard to believe. And since they are all true, it's best that you know the looting laws around the world before you travel to some far-off distant land and you discover you violated a law by hiking naked in Switzerland. Yeah, that's right. It's illegal to hike naked in Switzerland. Apparently, some Swiss and German travelers decided to make naked hiking a thing in Switzerland uh, about a decade ago. Uh, Really? Uh, Swiss officials reminded folks that a public indecency law still exists, and you can be fined if caught in the woods in the buff. Maybe it's just me, but there's no way I'm showing off my my junk in the cold, frigid area of Switzerland. Um, But then, is that crazy? Do remember? Maybe it's like the '70s when we had the whole streaking trend in America. Yeah. Uh, second, George Costanza would say there's some shrinkage going on. <laughs> Thank you. That's where I was going at with the whole cold frigid. Uh, yeah, the junk isn't even junk anymore. Um, in the United Kingdom, it's illegal to handle salmon. That's right. Under the Salmon Act of 1986, Parliament deemed it illegal to handle salmon in suspicious circumstances across the United Kingdom. It also applies to trout, smelt, freshwater fish, lampreys, and eels. Uh, but it doesn't specify what is considered suspicious to me i think all that stuff is fishy <laughs> okay <laughs> chirp, 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 chirp. i'm shaking my head uh, yeah. I mean, uh, any noise. <laughs> the, uh, the last loony law is is in south africa where it is illegal to wrestle a bear what makes this law extra ridiculous is that there are no bears in South Africa. Uh, and the lawmakers, <laughs> I guess, didn't feel it necessary to actually have a, a victim to create this law. I mean, they could have, you know, did a law like passing uh, no uh, lion wrestling. I don't know. But uh, 
And what is it with all these loony laws with bear wrestling? Have you noticed that, Jason? Yeah, we've had it should be a self-correct. If someone wants to wrestle a bear, go ahead. Darwin? What? You think Darwin I mean, is finest? Why, why do we need a law? If you're dumb enough. And even in America, we have apparently these laws. Is there really a necessity about bear wrestling? Maybe some kind of bear necessities? Look for the bear necessities, the simple bear necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. I love this movie. I mean, uh, bear necessities. Or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. And I will say this not one fart or diarrhea reference. Thank God for Jason, yeah. right? Yeah, I know. I know. You were worried. You, I uh, could... I'm always worried when I derive in studio with you. I'm always worried. And that is our Looney Laws. This yeah. week's heroic headline, uh, without a doubt, is going to be um, the surviving officer of the three that were involved in the incident last Friday night good in New York you. City. And uh, there's very good reasons why he is, uh, needs to be recognized uh, and uh, why I feel in my heart that he's a hero uh, right now. It's Officer Sumit Sulan. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right out of respect. He was on the call with Jason Rivera and uh, Wilbert Mora. They were his training officers, Darren. Officer Sulan had three weeks on the job. And he wow. was the one standing with the mom. And just in case people were hiding under a rock, mom called the police. Her and her son were in an argument, again, over his diet. And they get there. The son is in the bedroom. It's a one-bedroom apartment with a, a pretty lot, like a 30-foot hallway. So Officer Sulan stayed in the living area with the mother, and his two training officers went down the hall. They were shot. Jason Rivera was killed on scene. Wilbert Mora was critically wounded, has since passed away. With only three weeks on, all the training in the world, no matter what you think, you are not prepared to, within a matter of seconds, Listen or watch your friend and training officer die and then have to take a life yourself. And to his credit, with that little bit of experience, he not only moved the mother to safety, but then he returned fire and uh, critically injured the 47-year-old suspect, who I'm not even going to say his name because it makes me sick, uh, but he, uh, he also died on uh, Monday. Now, Officer Salon, you know, he's got two roads he can go down to, and it really is, you know, uh, a choice. But I hope, I really hope, Darren, that in 25, 30 years, I see that he's so one of the police commissioners. Thriving, or thriving. He, I, well, yeah. I hope he uses this, you know, only for good. I mean, I want him to come out of it. I want, uh, I appreciate, this guy's an immigrant, comes from an immigrant family, and he cares about this country enough that he wanted to be a police officer here in the largest city in the country. And to go through that after only three weeks, wow. you know, it'd be easy to step away, walk away, go back to something else. And I wouldn't disrespect him, but I, oh, hope, God, no. I hope that he turns this in. Like I said, I hope he's the chief of police someday. And it's moments like this that create uh, something really beautiful in the future. 
uh, and, and he has I, a whole really city am, behind him. He has uh, a whole city uh, and family. Oh, it's, he's, yeah. he's got all of us. Uh, everybody who's ever worn a uniform can understand. Yes. Uh, to go through what he went through after three three weeks, I can't imagine my can't field either, training brother. officer having been shot and killed right in front of me. I just yeah. that's not even something you can wrap your mind around. So he's a definitely a hero. And on to the inspirational uh, again, right here at home. Uh, this is just. I use these words delicately. I want to say this is so cool and inspirational, but it's still a tragedy, and there's still a lot of suffering going on. But Officer Phoenix Police Officer Tyler Moldovan, who was shot in the line of duty, I believe it was December 14th, and he was shot eight, eight times. times. And, you know, the word I was getting right after it happened was, there's no way he's going to survive. We're going to have, yeah, uh, Two shots to the head. I mean, I've talked to his partner who was on scene. Uh, I talked to some other people, and uh, his wife Chelsea just does an amazing job giving these incredible updates, filled with prayers and and thanks to the community. But uh, incredibly, uh, Tyler was released from the hospital and moved to an undisclosed rehabilitation center. And I just uh, I can't believe that he. He is still fighting the way he is. He is still clinging to life. And I pray for any type of, you know, I mean, just speaking from my own experience, any type of recovery is better than none. And his family is going to cherish each moment that they have with him uh, as he continues to move his hands or smile a little bit or recognize people. And it's just an, an amazing thing. When I read the tweet, from Phoenix PD yesterday that he was released from the hospital. I had, I had to read it four times. Yeah. I'm like, what? How, yeah. how is this possible? A miracle, that, truly. Uh, it, it I is mean, it's a, still, like you said, it's still a ways And you know what? We need miracles. And yeah. so to Officer Tyler Moldovan and his entire family, we, uh, we continue to pray for you, think about you, talk about you, and love you. And uh, we wish you um, all the good fortune that can possibly come your way. Thank you all. Uh, another great show. Uh, God bless. Be safe. And we will see you all next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys. Heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.